Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.53 a.m. It is the 22nd of November 2019. This is episode 167 of Bitcoin and... I was going to play funeral music, but I don't really think Bitcoin died. We've we've seen it before. I've I've told everybody that listens to the show, you're going to see it again. It just happens. So, uh we'll we'll get to the price when we get to vital statistics, but first I want to talk a little bit about lntinytorch.com. Yes. In case you guys have forgotten, there is such a thing as the Lightning Network Tiny Torch. For those who don't remember or either weren't aware or got in after, um, Hodel and Knot started a uh, uh, Lightning Torch, which touched off a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Got a whole bunch of people uh, pissed off, namely, well, Mr. Wright, even though that Holonot kind of, you know, was kind of jabbing him a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it pissed a lot of people off because we were demonstrating by passing this torch just how uh, effective the Lightning Network was. So the tradition has been uh, kept up, and now we have the Lightning Network Tiny Torch. Uh, Kristen Cowell, uh, Col- oh, sorry, Colwell, uh, currently holds the torch. The torch value is at 247 sats, so if you want to get the torch, you will have to invoice on the Lightning Network for 248 sats. They're going up one sat at a time. So we are at uh, 200, uh, Kristen is the 248th holder of the torch. You can find that again at lntinytorch.com. Although I don't understand why their uh, the Twitter account associated with the Tiny Torch has been uh, suspended, I I have no idea what they could have possibly breached in terms of service for Twitter. But for right now, the LN Tiny Torch uh, Twitter account is suspended. But just if you want to participate, just go to lntinytorch.com and uh, pick up pick up the Lightning Torch. Okay, uh, the Little Bitcoin book has now been released on audio. Now, this book is from, oh, like, you know, Alex Alex Gladstein, Elena Vernova, Jimmy Song, and a whole bunch of other authors. They released it some time ago, and then they got Guy Swan from The Crypto Economy, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, to read the book. The length is about two hours and 53 minutes. That book's a little bit, for, for being a little Bitcoin book, that is a, that's a pretty long read. In either event, uh, you can go check it out on at audible underscore uh, con. Yeah, let me try that again. At audible underscore com on Twitter, and that will get you to exactly where you need to go and buy it. Uh, I think it's selling on Audible for 
like seven or eight dollars for the audio version. So if you want to uh, listen to it in the car or something like that, then there you go. Also, I came across this either yesterday or the day before. This is bitcoin-intro.com. And uh, let me just read their guiding principles so that you can figure out what's going on here. One, starting simply and improving is better than not starting at all. Two, it's more engaging to use tools before reading a detailed explanation. Three, always keep full control of your Bitcoin. Four, stay focused and avoid scams. So what is this thing? It is a right fine repository of how to get started uh, or, or of tools and documentation of how to get started in Bitcoin from noob, like has no idea what the hell a wallet is all the way up to, let's see what the last thing is, uh, buying privately through something like, um, BISC. Yeah. B I S Q. So it's, it's, it's really well. Um, it's a very well-developed website. It's, uh, clean. It's, it's got links all in a row. It's like kind of like one page. So it goes from, Let's see, there are tw- uh, 13 full steps, uh, starting with setup and then get a wallet and then buy some Bitcoin. Uh, why use Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? Further learning, better backup, blah, 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 running a node and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you have a noob or a, a, a pre-coiner in your life and you want to uh, set, them in, uh, set them on their path, this might be very well a good way to get into it because it's just, it's just so nice. The, the, the website is just very, very nice and clean, um, and there's not a whole lot of confusing graphics or anything like that on here. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Mr. Cucks, apparently that's at M R K U K K S. He apparently is working on a BTC pay configurator software that will allow you to deploy and customize BTC pay server on any machine. It gives a lots, uh, gives lots of customization options and a simple UI your grandmother can use. And this is only early alpha. That is a tweet from Pavlin X. Uh, and then he's got a, a screenshot of the, I guess, the, the head screen of the alpha. So anyway, Mr. Cux is working on a configurator to make it a little bit easier to deploy and customize the BTC pay server. So keep your eye out on that. Again, that is at Mr. Cux, M-R-K-U-K-K-S. And then you can get a hold of Pavlin X at P-A-V-L-E-N-E-X. All right, let's see what else is here. BTC socialist that is at BTC socialist. Um, he has a tweet out here that is, uh, basically, uh, drawing attention to a video, uh, a YouTube video. And it says, basically his tweet says offline, a Bitcoin tap and pay on lightning network using a simple LN URL withdraw faucet made in paywall.link. That's paywall.link. And it's a nice video demonstrating this guy is basically really close to completely emulating with uh, the Lightning Network a tap and pay system where so like if you if especially I think this is more done in European countries than the United States, but you just walk up with your credit card and and tap the the uh, uh, the register or, or, you know, the the point of sale device. And then the transaction is made. So he's replicated that it's kind of 
kludgy, but still we're all really early. So there's that. Anyway, it, what it demonst- the video demonstrates that it can be done and it's pretty, like I said, it's kludgy, but it's still pretty slick, man. I, I, I just like the whole fact that we're, you know, we're just marching along here and we're going to end up with the exact same set of tools at the exact same speeds of everything else that's in the legacy financial world. It's just going to take some time. So it might do us well to develop patience. That's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, that's community news. Let's get into the morning roundup. start this with a little bit of a bitch fest about uh, the block crypto. Not happy with their actions, was it, I guess, yesterday when the, this massive dump started happening. Um, so what to say about this? They're, they released, The block crypto released a news story, and the headline was something like, uh, Bitfinex uh, Shanghai offices get raided by police or, you know, some kind of legal, uh, enforcement, you know, force or something like that. But you couldn't actually read the story because it was dumped behind a freaking paywall. This is a problem because it's an inflammatory, a very inflammatory headline coming out of a news agency that a lot of people actually listen to. I've kind of stopped uh, listening to anything that Mike Dudas or the Block Crypto has to say, because I think that at this point they're becoming entirely too much of a bad actor in the space, and and this entire situation with this um, Shanghai office shutdown uh, story that got circulated, because the the problem is is that when people were were retweeting that, almost none of us could actually read the story because none of us are going to pay Mike what he wants us to pay to get a hold of his crappy, crappy news. So all people saw on the circulation through Twitter and other social media was the freaking headline. And I, is, is it that that caused the price to dump? No, but it certainly didn't help. It's irresponsible to do that kind of thing. Now I, I have, I'm looking at the story now and it is no longer blocked or behind a paywall. It it has been opened up, but in my opinion, those kind of actions are that, that was, that showed lack of integrity and a lack of journalistic, uh, journalistic ethics. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. So what, what about the story? Well, let's just, let's go ahead and and read it because we're going to have to get into some of this stuff anyway. Um, Celia Wan, again, writing for the Block Crypto, uh, she, on this was yesterday, yeah, at 10.50 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in the U.S., Binance's Shanghai office shut down following police raid, sources say. Yeah, keep that in mind when we read this. Binance's Shanghai office, which once hosted some of the exchange's top executives, abruptly closed its doors in recent weeks, 
forcing employees to either work remotely or relocate to Singapore, several sources close to the matter told the block. According to the sources, the cryptocurrency exchange's Shanghai office was recently raided by local police. Sources said many of the Binance executives, along with as many as 100 other employees, worked at that office. The cryptocurrency exchange is headquartered in Malta. Notably, top executives such as the CEO, CZ, and CMO Yi He were part of the group that relocated to Singapore, according to the sources. In a tweet dated November the 20th, CZ said that the office and headquarters are outdated concepts and time is moving on. Hmm. Different sources within Binance describe the circumstances around the raid and office closure indifferent. At times contradict... Oh, sorry, they blew a space here. Different sources within Binance described... Good God, it the block is just is this is such a horrible way to read it, and the reason is because it times out the the story will time out and then it will give you a splash screen, so you actually have to refresh the freaking page to actually read it. Everything about the block crypto is really not good. I'm sorry, it's just this is a it's becoming a very terrible publication. Let's try it again. Different sources within Binance describe the circumstances around the raid and office closure in different, at times, contradictory ways. When reached for a comment, a Binance spokesperson refuted the raid, saying that the exchange doesn't have a fixed office in Shanghai. Quote, we don't have entities in China. Most of us work remotely in China, said the spokesperson. Binance's denial of the mere existence of a Chinese office comes despite the block having seen photographs of the office as part of conversations with Binance representatives about the location in question. And then it goes on to talk about this Beijing office, but I'm, I'm tired of, of Mike or of Mr. Dudas refreshing his damn page and make it just... Re- Nobody else does this. I, I, this is the only publication that I've ever seen actually time out and then go back to a splash screen and then makes you reload the page to read the rest of it. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Okay, so yeah, sorry, I, I said Bitfinex at the at the start. No, it's it, Binance. But in in either event, uh, <clears throat> it's so inflammatory. All the sources are unnamed, unknown. And and the only way that you could actually read the rest of that crap was to, you know, actually have a subscription to the block. Well, so all, in, like I said, is all anybody saw was, was the headline. And the headline was, is inflammatory. We have no idea what the hell's going on. We, we have zero idea what's going on. It took hours for some other publication to actually report on it. And all they could report on was the blocks reporting on it, presumably because they do have the money to actually buy a subscription to the block crypto. And all that was the, for a long time, that was, seems to be the only source. Now, this is a related story. This is by William Suberg. He's writing for Cointelegraph this morning. Okay, so like almost 24 hours later, Bitcoin drops to 7K as China vows to dispose of local exchanges. Uh, cryptocurrency exchanges operating illegally in China face a new threat after the central bank announced it would take new steps to uphold its trading ban. In a statement on November the 21st, the People's Bank of China warned it was taking action against entities allegedly involved in trading cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. 
The move was in response to a rise in trading activity following China's public endorsement of blockchain technology, it said. Pledging to keep its promise to outlaw trading, the PBOC vowed to dispose of any such activity it discovered under its jurisdiction. God, is it a bank or is it the cops? It's really hard to tell in China at this point. Quote, once it is discovered, it will be disposed of immediately and it will be prevented from happening early, a translation of the statement reads. As Cointelegraph reported, multiple rumors currently abound about a crackdown on legitimate cryptocurrency businesses, Chinese outpost. On Thursday, attention focused on an alleged police raid on the offices of Binance and Bitthumb, something both subsequently denied. Okay, so both those companies deny it. Bitcoin tanked on Friday as the news appeared to rattle markets, sliding almost 10% and bouncing off support at around 7,000. Meanwhile, in the city of Shenzhen, revealed an investigation into similar cryptocurrency trading operations, again spearheaded by the PBOC. Commentators, including Binance CEO CZ, nonetheless argued the focus of the probe genuinely was bad actors and that it would ultimately be beneficial. In the latest statement, however, PBOC underscored the official government position in favor of blockchain but against cryptocurrency more clearly than ever. Quote, investors should be careful not to mix blockchain technology with virtual currency, end quote. Quote, paraphrasing similar warnings that appeared in government media publication People's Daily late last month. So can you imagine a blockchain without anything to, anything to prompt the security of itself with a token that has value? Not going to work. But again, getting back to the whole block, the, the block crypto thing, you know, other... Uh, all the companies that are that are involved seem to be denying that this thing ever happened. The block crypto has no credible sources. They're all unnamed. They're all unknown. Yet the only thing that they were allowed that they allowed to be circulated was an inflammatory headline. And the only way that you could read the rest of the story was to buy Mike's subscription. I call bullshit. And I, I really think that at this point, the block crypto could just be disposed of without any further ado. Ripple, affiliated foundation is a corporate tax shelter, says Masari. This is Anatol Antonovici writing for Bitcoinist.com. Ripple is using its affiliated charity foundation as a corporate and executive tax shelter, according to crypto research firm Masari. The accusation was voiced after London-based blockchain analysis firm Ecliptic or Elliptic found that about 400 million worth of XRP tokens or 400 million dollars worth of XRP tokens can be associated with illegal transactions. Besides using the foundation as a tax shelter, Ripple's charity nonprofit is not allocating any grants to charities and is hiding the fact that 2.2 billion XRP tokens counted as circulating supply is now locked in long-term restricted selling agreements. The findings were shared by Missouri author Ryan Selkis. As per the foundation's Form 990 for the fiscal year 2018 that ended April last year, the Ripple Foundation for Financial Innovation, which is affiliated with the company and its co-founder Chris Larson, granted $0 to charities. 
while it had $1.2 billion in assets under management. Man, that doesn't look good. Meanwhile, the Ripple Foundation paid $665,000 in salary to its CEO and invested $30 million in digital asset management firm Arrington XRP Capital, which is run by Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse's friend Michael Arrington. Yesterday, Elliptic launched a transactions monitoring system for XRP, the token run by Ripple, and used for its global payment network. So far, the system has managed to identify about $400 million worth of XRP tied to illegal transactions. Nevertheless, the illicit transfer account for less than 0.2% of all transactions that took place. And then they go uh, go on a little bit uh, about that, but, you know, that... Illegal transactions, I'm sorry, but if if I can't buy hookers and blow, sorry, that's just the way it is. It's the fact of the matter is that if I can't buy hookers and blow with whatever money that I am calling money, then it's not money. So I'm not as much worried about the $400 million of illicit activity as much as their charitable foundation doesn't actually back any charities. It doesn't give anything to charity. That's the issue here. Um, and it doesn't surprise me because all the people out of, you know, for Ripple, especially the guys at the the people behind the company are all bad actors in the space. They are here to take your money and make themselves rich and they don't give a shit about you. Like these people, Einstein Exchange. <clears throat> oh boy. Christine. Vasileva is writing for also the Bitcoinist. Einstein Exchange closes. Funds, you guessed it, disappear into thin air. Yeah, not your keys, not your coin. If you have any any coins on an exchange, please remember January the 3rd. Proof of keys is coming up. You don't have to wait. Just get them off the exchange. The Canadian market operator is the second significant crash in the country following the closing of the notorious Quadriga CX at the beginning of this year. This time, the loss may be smaller, but the exchange followed a similar scenario of withholding user funds. The Einstein exchange was ordered to cease operations on November the 1st and was taken into custody by the British Columbia Securities Commission. The Grant Thornton legal firm was appointed as interim receiver and tasked with tracking the funds of the exchange. On November the 18th, Grant Thornton ended its interim receivership, discovering that the exchange did not hold funds in any known banks. There were additional crypto losses which could not be tracked. Michael uh, Gokturk, CEO of the now defunct Einstein Exchange, testified that the market held between 8 and 10 million Canadian dollars, not the 16 million previously reported. Most of the funds were in crypto assets. However, there was no disclosure of wallets or addresses, and allegedly Gokturk kept the funds not only in controlled wallets, but on other exchanges. Jesus, God, it's the exact same story as Quadriga, in fact. The only source of knowledge about the Einstein Exchange's funds is a sworn affidavit by British Columbian citizen Sammy Wu, who claims to have knowledge of the exchange's affairs. He claimed that the market operator pooled together both fiat and crypto funds and used that pool to serve withdrawals. The Einstein Exchange had markets opened for 19 coins and tokens and accepted fiat deposits in USD and CAD. 
The scenario recalls the claims that some of the funds on Quadriga CX were held on Kraken, with suggestions that, suggestions that the assets were not held in custody, but also day traded in risky bets. Currently, the company that ran the Einstein Exchange is held under complete custody by the BCSC. It is uncertain if the funds were lost or intentionally diverted for personal gains. In any case, the Einstein Exchange was relatively small and for months gave worrying signs its operations may end with an exit scam. Previous user reports included lack of, or previous user reports included lack of support and aggressive replies when seeking redress or funds. The Einstein Exchange reportedly allowed withdraw only allowed withdrawals if new customers made deposits, running a deficit both in fiat and cryptocurrency. So, another one bites the dust. Another one took your money and run. Not your keys, not your coins. I. Uh, this is interesting news. This is blog.kraken.com. And uh, this is a I, their blog release that is introducing the Kraken affiliate program, 20% revenue share. I, the Kraken is the only exchange that I've ever used. I, I kind of dig them. Sometimes I, I see headlines like this and I'm like, God, I just, I hope y'all don't go scummy. Let's see what they have to say. Nothing makes us happier than hearing a client recommend Kraken to others as a result of their experience trading with us and the sense of independence that comes with owning crypto. In appreciation, we want to start rewarding those who spread the good word. Starting today, you can get paid 20% of the fees we collect from a referred client up to 1,000 USD for each client referred. Let's do the math. If you refer 500 clients to us, you can earn up to 500,000 USD. Here's the best part. This program has no scheduled expiration date. One, you get paid for as long as the referral remains a client. We constructed our program this way because we truly believe in growing the market long term. Two, this is a huge difference from any other program, which might pay you a higher percentage, but only cover the first three months or first year of the client's activity. Three, our data shows that most clients are active well beyond their first year. That's all there is to it. So, and then it gives instructions on how to sign up and start making money. And I'm not going to shield that part to them because, again, it when when somebody says sentences like, if you refer 500 clients to us, you can earn up to $500,000. It's half a million dollars. And I'm like, how's this not mid-level or multi-level marketing? It, it's it, it's not that it's it's not that it is it's just that it's this becomes scathingly close to behavior that can get one wrecked somehow by you know in in this case spinning their wheels trying to get people to sign up with Kraken and actually make trades I don't know man like I said I I I do like the guys over at Kraken but this ah, you know, do it at your own risk is all I'm saying. But mm. South Korea takes legal step to stamp out unregistered crypto exchanges. So following suit with, with China, we've got South Korea who is uh, causing problems for us. Daniel Palmer writing for Coindesk. And this was the sometime this it was released yesterday, but updated this morning. Earlier on Thursday, the National Assembly's Amendment Subcommittee of Parliamentary Affairs passed a legal amendment to the still-in-development Special Financial Transactions Information Act to force virtual asset exchanges to register with the Financial Services Commission. Those failing to do so would face up to five years in prison or a fine of up to 50 million won, 
which is right around $43,000 U.S., according to a report from Coindesk Korea. Under the amendment aimed to align the industry with international anti-money laundering guidance from FATF, Crypto exchanges must also have so-called real-name virtual bank accounts, sub-accounts for users within an exchange's primary account to avoid falling foul of the legislation. According to the report, opposition lawmakers had expressed concerns that the exchanges without real-name virtual accounts would be forced to close, bringing further contraction of the domestic cryptocurrency industry. In early 2018, the FSC outlawed anonymous virtual accounts with the result that only four exchanges were left with real-name virtual accounts through contracts with local banks, Bitthumb, Upbit, Corbit, and CoinOne. As a result of the concerns, the amendment, if passed into law, would make it easier for exchanges to qualify for real-name virtual accounts. Li Zheng Hang, CEO of Gopax Exchange, which does not have a real-name virtual account as yet, said the change would make for a healthy market as long as the system is fair, fair. Also loosened in the legislation is the obligation for certification of an exchange's information security management system. The committee agreed to give a grace period for reapplication should certification fail initially. The Special Financial Transactions Information Act would ultimately mean that the crypto-related industry would move out of a regulatory gray area and enter the system as regulated financial institutions like banks. Quote, it is expected to be the first step in the development of consumer protection in a stable market, end quote, according to Jai Jin Kim, Secretary General of the Korea Blockchain Association. The act, including the new amendment, is likely to be passed by the National Assembly. However, the amendment may see more changes after review from other governmental bodies. Uh, you know, regulation, regulation is coming. So here's here's the 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 bad news about that is that regulation is coming. The good news is BISC. Just use BISC. Seek out and find the decentralized solutions that kick this whole damn thing off. Part of this is going to go under the regulatory waves uh, of the ocean and be swallowed up by whatever Leviathan is down there, but it can't stop the whole damn thing. It can stop you know, these exchanges because they have, guess what, a front door that somebody can go knock on and say, you're either under arrest or you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. That's the way it is. BISC. Go, if you, if you just have to, you know, if you just have to do it, go look into BISC, B-I-S-Q. Let's see what else we got on here. Oh, the uh, PayPal CEO, Dan Schulman, Reveals why he withdrew from Facebook's Libra project. Polina Maranova is writing for Fortune.com. When Facebook's ambitious cryptocurrency project Libra launched in June, a total of 28 companies signed on to be part of the Libra Association. The consortium of companies, including PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, and Coinbase, would help build and operate services around the project. In October, PayPal became the first company to walk away from the Libra Association without citing a specific reason, only that it decided to forego further participation in the Libra Association at this time and to continue to focus on advancing our existing mission and business priorities as we strive to democratize access to financial services for underserved populations. So apparently, uh, Dan sat, sat down with Fortune Magazine in a brief interview. So Fortune asks, uh, or not Dan, David, um, Fortune asks David, why did you decide 
to withdraw from the Libra Association. When David Marcus's Facebook's head of Libra came to talk to us about Libra initially, he framed it in ways that were more that he framed it in ways that were appealing to us about financial inclusion. We're always exploring the next generation of technologies like blockchain infrastructure to do things more efficiently. And, you know, we'd like to learn more about it. All of us were interested in learning more as we learned more about Libra and saw the amount of things that were still left to do and the amount of things we still had to do on our own roadmap outside of Libra. We said, you know, we think if we focus on our own roadmap, we'd be able to uh, advance financial inclusion faster than if we put all these resources against Libra. It wasn't an acrimonious divorce or anything like that. It's just that they will start going down a road that we're very interested in looking at and monitoring. And maybe later, there are ways we can work together. I wish them the best of luck on it. And there's a couple of more. Like I said, it's a very short interview, but that's sort of the... he kind of, David or uh, 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 sorry, Dan Shulman kind of fleshed out more about the reasons why they walked away. It's, it's, it's full of that corporate BS speak, but you know, at least, at least there's something, you know, like, you know, at least there's something a little bit more as to why they actually walked away. Uh, the rest of it is not really all that important, but uh, this one hit this shit hit the fan uh, yesterday. German bank boosts Bitcoin negative interest rates hit every account. William Suberg writing yesterday for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin cautious Germany has seen its first bank demand that ordinary savers pay it to hold their money, even as little as one euro. According to multiple local press outlets, including uh, Süddeutsche Zeitung on November the 19th, the Volksbank Reifensbank Fürstendelbrock, or the VRF, in northern Bavaria is now charging 0.5% negative interest rates on the smallest deposits. Quote, we had to do it, end quote. The publication quoted the bank's management as saying, the reason, they said, was the cost of parking money at the European Central Bank. In Germany, negative interest rates previously impacted only deposits above 100,000 euros, which constituted an interest-free allowance. VRF's move makes it the first lender in the country to target savings below that level. Quote, recently more clients have been coming to us from other banks where they've already used up their allowance. As Cointelegraph reported, negative interest rates are beginning to form as part of the ECB's monetary policy. The phenomenon ultimately means that some portion of savers must pay banks to hold their money. Critics have warned that such moves would incentivize the public to move into cash, while alternatives such as Bitcoin also stand to benefit. By contrast, Bitcoin does not suffer from the inflationary meddling in its supply and associated destruction of its value, meaning hodlers will never be forced to pay to own it, which is a very nice thing that we have with Bitcoin. Finishing up here, last month, entrepreneur Cameron Winklevoss noted the cryptocurrency was the ideal method of escaping negative interest rates on bonds, which account for investments worth $17 trillion with a T dollars. Speaking to the bank, meanwhile, the CEO of German Consumer Portal warned that VRF could open the floodgates. That's a direct quote. Quote, we're seeing a lot of movement on the market at present, Oliver Mayer said. He noted that the ECB's decision to cut its benchmark interest rates for banks to negative 0.5% from negative 0.4% was the cause of the upset. So 
as the EC, what's going on here is that as the ECB makes its decisions, all the banks underneath that have to I, I bend down at the, you know, get on their knees in front of the ECB, they all have to follow suit. And this is why centralized authority is so damn dangerous because it's not just, you know, we can like laugh all we want when the ECB says something stupid, but who's not laughing are the banks that actually have to do its bidding. So again, centralized things are never good. Um, Never. And this is not, I don't even know if this is true, but Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph that Bitcoin.com launches a $200 million Bitcoin cash investment fund I don't know, man. Bitcoin.com, the Bitcoin. Oh, this is weird. The Bitcoin related firm backed by crypto evangelist Roger Ver is planning to launch its 200 million Bitcoin cash investment fund. Ver has announced the news speaking at a Bitcoin cash meetup in London. The event was hosted by major global crypto wallet blockchain.com. The new Bitcoin Cash Ecosystem Fund will focus on payment solutions and non-custodial financial services for Bcash, a cryptocurrency that emerged from a hard fork of Bitcoin in August of 2017. According to the official announcement, details of the BCH Ecosystem Investment Fund are not yet finalized. (laughs) I wonder if the money is finalized, but it will allow participation from institutional investors, of course. The fund will be investing in payment gateways, processor remittances, wallet and merchant acquirers. Bitcoin.com's new CEO, Stefan Rust, has reportedly identified up to 20 potential institutional investors that share the company's vision and are interested to invest alongside Bitcoin.com's executive chairman, Ver, and the company itself. Formerly known as a website focused on covering BTC and BCH, Bitcoin.com now provides a number of Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash services, including crypto trading and storage. The firm behind the website had been gradually embracing more services since its domain name was acquired by Ver back in 2014. Uh, Bitcoin.com launched its own digital exchange in September, allowing users to trade a number of cryptocurrencies, including XRP, Litecoin, and EOS. I had no idea that that happened. I guess because I don't follow it all that much, but... The long and the short of it is, is that they're saying that there's $200 million that are going to be dropped into the uh, Bitcoin cash ecosystem. I actually just don't believe it. I, I'm, I'd have to see it, but I think this is just attention, uh, sort of an attention grab, but you got to know that it's out there. Okay. So if you haven't seen it, I'm not reading it because I'm like, you know, I like Roger or certainly I, I don't like Bcash. I'm sure Roger's a nice guy in person, but Man, his ethics are so freaking mortifyingly scary at this point that I I don't know about him. But I I just think that they're just using the media as uh, to make splashy, at, you know, advertisements for, you know, next to nothing. Because I, honestly, I don't know where the hell $200 million would be coming from for something like Bcash. Oh, maker of Wasabi Bitcoin wallet valued at $7.5 million in first equity round. See, now this makes sense. This is Coindesk's uh, Lee Kun. She's writing, when was this? This was yesterday. The privacy-centric Bitcoin wallet Wasabi, launched by ZK Snacks Limited in 2018, just raised its first equity investment from Cypherpunk Holdings, a publicly traded Canadian firm. Cypherpunk Holdings CEO Dominic Frisby said the the firm invested $337,000 in exchange for a 4.5% stake 
value, valuing the wallet startup at $7.5 million. Quote, it's extraordinary for a tech company this early in its evolution to have the revenues that Wasabi already has. It's, only, it's one of the only forms of a crypto wallet that has a revenue model, end quote, Frisbee said. According to the ZK Snacks team, oh, sorry, although the ZK Snacks team didn't respond to requests for comment, co-founder Adam Fiskor previously told Coindesk the company's mixer transaction fees earned 14 Bitcoin in July 2019 alone. That's about $112,000. It appears Wasabi Wallet processed at least 5,373 mixed coin joins in July, August, and early September. If that trend continued for 12 months, it would put revenues at over $1 million U.S. This newest edition rounds out Cypherpunk's holdings, which include roughly 2,000 Monero and 180 Bitcoin, Frisbee said, in addition to equity in the rival privacy project Samurai Wallet, which is valued at $6.6 million based on Cypherpunk's $100,000 investment for 1.5% equity, and the blockchain startup Chia, founded by Cypherpunk, legend Bram Cohen. Both wallets and privacy-enabling services have very impressive network effects in that the more participants there are, the more private each participant is. Wasabi is a is well-positioned to capture much of that market, not only for personal use, but for enterprises, CIO Mo Adham from Cypherpunk said. Frisbee said the fund was initially focused on pro- providing exposure to privacy coins, but found scant traction among assets like Zcash and quickly pivoted to projects that boost privacy for the Bitcoin network. Quote, we want to make two or three more privacy tech investments, looking at things like VPNs, messaging systems, that type of thing, he said, adding that the firm is looking to deploy a large chunk of its $1.4 million U.S. in fiat holdings by mid-2020. In a press release, ZK Snack CEO Balant Harmit said, these new shareholders as strategic partners helping make Bitcoin fungible. All things considered, this round proves that an open source product can go from a bootstrapped volunteer project that paid contributors with donated and earned Bitcoin all the way to VC-backed startup in roughly two years, pioneering a Bitcoin-centric business model. Quote, you just can't underestimate the network effect of Bitcoin, Frisbee said. So this is this is an investment that makes sense. Two hundred million in something like Bcash, I don't get that. But seven point five, or or rather uh, three hundred and thirty five thousand dollars for something like Wasabi Wallet, that does make sense to me. Venezuela cuts petro backing from five billion barrels of oil to thirty million. Oh, God, this it's Helen Parts writing for Cointelegraph. Uh, Venezuela plans to back its national oil ped cryptocurrency, the Petro, with 30 million barrels of crude oil. The president announced the news on, 20, on November the 20th on state television, according to a Reuters report. In the announcement, Maduro called the Petro a sovereign Venezuelan crypto asset. While Maduro has not provided any details on how the sale of oil inventories will work in order to back the Petro so far, another Reuters report said that the Venezuelan government initially planned to back the cryptocurrency with 5 billion, that's with a B, 
barrels of oil. According to the report, the sharp decline in the quantity of the Petro's backing was caused by United States sanctions on Venezuela's state-owned oil company PDVSA. The firm allegedly reduced crude extraction in 2019 due to said sanctions. The news comes amidst a new wave of Petro promotion by the local government. On November the 17th, Maduro announced that Venezuelan retirees and pensioners will get their Christmas bonus in the Petro. Similar initiatives have already happened before as Venezuela reportedly automatically converted pensioners' monthly bonus into the Petro in late 2018. Launched in February of 2018, the Petro became the world's first national oil-backed cryptocurrency. The coin is purportedly designed to attract foreign investment as well as avoid sanctions by the United States government. Prior to launching the Petro, Maduro ordered the issue of 100 million Petros with the value of a single barrel of oil each in January of 2017. Despite Maduro opening the country's major bank, a bank Banco de Venezuela, to start accepting PTR in J- July of 2019, the cryptocurrency is apparently not used in in the country so far. Reuters has re- reportedly been unable to find evidence of any use of the Petro as a means of commercial exchange as of November 20, despite officials promoting the coin in recent weeks. Could you imagine? I mean, to, you're, so you're retired. Chilling out, didn't do nothing to nobody. Just, and then wake up and be told that we're going to give you a worthless coin instead of our worth. I mean, they're, you know, whatever money that they're, they're getting is probably worthless anyway. But if it, let's say that it had, let's say that the Venezuelan uh, dollar had value and the pensioners were getting it. And then all of a sudden be told that you're being converted to the Petro, which has no use, has already had its backing slashed from 5 billion barrels of oil to 30 million. That's going from a B to an M y'all. 5 billion to 30 million. You know, what other shenanigans are, are next for this shit coin? It's just absolutely it, 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 historic levels of idiocy. But that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Oh, yay, a bounce. Bitcoin is at 7,168, which is essentially off its lows. Uh, Don't get too happy about this. We may see 6,400. You never know. 305,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours, which is about 13,000 transactions per hour on average. 1.5 million BTC has been sent over that last 24-hour period, with 64,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. Uh, The average transaction value is 5 BTC, and the median transaction value is at 0.042 BTC, or right at $300 U.S., Block time is high. Can you wonder why? 10 minutes and 59 seconds. We have 0.3 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and about 40 BTC have been taken in all in fees in the last 24 hours. We have had a, uh, yeah, a a sharp, eh, not a sharp, but a pretty punch in the gut decline to the hash rate. We are now at 86 Point two exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum at 149, Bcash at 206, Litecoin at 47, BSV at 94, Ethereum Classic at $3.87, and one Doge is 0.0024. So Doge got honked. Oh man, poor Doge. 
let's see, 28,000 transactions uh, puts it above Litecoin. And that's about it. Let's get into the mempool. I'm seeing nine blocks deep. We have 16,000 unconfirmed transactions. And everything that I see is above one megabyte in size. Lightning Network, we have 10,542 nodes that we can see on the network. We have 830 BTC in network capacity. We have 18 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours, which represents a 63% increase on a day-over-day period, but only 91 new channels, which represents a 20% decline of uh, new channels coming online in the last 24 hours. And that's your vitals. All right, the song of the day today is Set Your Controls for the Heart of the Sun by Pink Floyd. This is a long one. And after today and yesterday's price dump, you're probably going to need to relax and just chill out and listen to some psychedelic Floyd, man, because this is about as psychedelic as as it gets. This is from very, very early in their career. What I find most odd about this particular recording is that this recording is actually much better than the recording that was on the the initial album that it came off of. This is from uh, Pink Floyd Live in Pompeii. And I've I've watched Live in Pompeii, you know, a couple of times before. It's not really live. They're not at a show. Um, But they do seem to be playing... Uh, or getting recorded live as in they're all playing together. Uh, but if, if you, if you're going to, to watch live in Pompeii from Pink Floyd, be aware that there's no audience and they're in multiple different locations uh, in and around Pompeii. Uh, but with all, you know, with that said, this is a, the, the video or the movie, if you watch it is r- pretty high production value and this particular video from that is one of the high, it, I, I could have sworn I was, I kept watching it last night when I was making decisions to what to put on. And I kept looking at the, at the uh, film and just like, Oh my God, this is like high definition. It's it, beautifully executed filming. Uh, the, the cinematography in this movie is top, top notch. And it's, it holds up, it held up so well throughout the years that it's hard to tell when it was actually shot. You know, this thing was shot in the seventies or very early eighties and the, but the quality was so good. Oh my God, the quality is so good. And the audio quality of this performance is just stellar, stellar. So since we're all going to be sucked in to uh, the heart of the sun, insofar as we're all, you know, getting sucked into the black hole of the price drop, please remember there's more to it than the price. The price is part of it, but there's more to this. There's, there's a lot more to this. So you guys just chill out, relax, close your eyes, unless you're driving, listen to some fun.
to you by Evan Van Ness at Evan underscore Van underscore Ness. On November the 18th, he decided to write this tweet. Ethereum's governance is transparently messy, but at least it hasn't been captured by a VC-funded corporation. Hashtag Blockstream. What the hell does transparently messy mean anyway? That just seems odd. Okay, look, for any of you guys that are new, uh, Blockstream is a company that's been around for a very long time and has been, it's it's a Bitcoin company insofar that they basically do stuff to, you know, they help write, you know, contribute to the Bitcoin core repository. Um, they do a whole bunch of other st- things. They have a tendency to, oh, I don't know, rent bandwidth on satellites so that we can transmit Bitcoin transactions and monitor the blockchain from space without the need for the internet. Uh, you know, it's terrible. They're such terrible people. But they've been the butt of, you know, for the, like the last few years, probably longer than that, that it's some kind of nefarious takeover move on, on Bitcoin because some of their... financial backing comes from like, I don't know, I can't remember what it is anymore. ING insurance or something. I, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it ends up being a situation that, um, you get a lot of people that start spouting conspiracy theories, how they're here to take over, um, Bitcoin. And it was one of the driving narratives that Roger Ver used in uh, pre-launch of BCH. 
Um, and everybody just, I don't know if, if they hate Bitcoin, they always go to, to block stream and where, you know, with the tinfoil hats and everything. And it's just, it's sad to see that this is actually still being propagated. I kind of thought it had died a little bit, but no, they're always going to go back to it. Anyway, there's your steaming pile down there in the corner wearing its tinfoil hat. Terrible Joke Corner brings you as much humor as we possibly can, especially on a, the last couple of, for the last couple of days. We need some laughs, man. And this one is coming from Cash Mud Sap at C A C H E M U D S A P. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. I was talking with my dad the other day, and I asked him how I was skydiving. Dad said it was great, but I kept falling down. <laughs> Thank God for bad humor. Okay, so uh, we're just going to end it here. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.